Dolan Mercer on Manx Radio. Fast am I. Good afternoon and welcome to Perspective on the programme this week. He's cast a long shadow over Manx art. Generations of artists have wanted to emulate how Archibald Knox captured that sense of place. And you look at those Manx landscapes and you just go, yeah, that's the Isle of Man. It's now not a like, it's an obsession with me, if you like. Every time I see an ox, I still get goose pimples because you cannot believe that it was designed or some of it was designed up in the village of Sulby 120 years ago or nearly 120 years ago by a man who, to me, on this island is so totally undervalued. Well, there's always the rumour that Brad Pitt... Well, it's not a rumour. It's absolutely true that certainly Brad Pitt is or was a collector of Knox. And there are other stories of other Hollywood collectors. Um, but uh, sadly, none have come knocking on my door, so I can't confirm, confirm that. But uh, <laughs> there, there's certainly some very wealthy collectors out there, which is why uh, some of the Archibald Knox pieces sell for so much. To show the world, this wasn't a little old school teacher who spent a few years designing for Liberty and Co. He had such influence on Europe it's not that 2024 there's an exhibition what a great thing that was it's to make people aware and to want to come back year after year there are plans gathering pace for the most ambitious multifaceted world-leading celebration of the life and work of archibald knox on the isle of man a timeless talent and a national treasure the versatile creative from cronkbourne village in braddon remains totally undervalued according to the forum set up in his name In this episode of Perspective, we're going to hear all about the man himself, perhaps best known as an Art Nouveau artist and designer for Liberty & Co. in London, but who was so much more than that. We'll hear about proposals by the Archibald Knox Forum for a project in four or five years' time to a scale never seen before. We'll hear from Yvonne Cresswell, Curator of Social History at Manx National Heritage. We'll also hear from Anthony Birnbaum of the Pear Tree Collection, a director of the former Archibald Knox Society, an international expert and a dealer of Knox works in London. But first, a cursory glance into some essential reading for all things Isle of Man gives you some foundations of insight into Archibald Knox. I'm going to read you some extracts from an entry in New Manx Worthies from Leslie Quilliam. Knox has been described as one of the most underappreciated of British artists, His Times obituary described him as an artist of poetical sensibilities who had a very healthy influence upon the decorative art of his time. He's noted for his work in many media, in metalwork, ceramics, fabric patterns and wallpaper designs, for landscape watercolours and for a very distinctive style of lettering. His parents had moved to the island from Kilburnie in Scotland on the 2nd of December 1856. His father worked in the timber mill at Cronkbourne with tied housing until the late 1860s, when, realising there was a need of metalworking and marine engineering repair services in Douglas, he set up shop there. The three eldest sons also worked in the business, which continued into the 20th century. Causing his father some upset, Archibald preferred to draw and paint. Archibald's talent did not go unnoticed. In 1882, he was appointed pupil teacher at the Douglas School of Art in exchange for free studentship. He became part of the artistic circle in Douglas and also taught at Douglas Grammar School, where he came under the influence of the headmaster, Canon John Quine. Quine was an enthusiastic antiquarian and amateur archaeologist, and Archibald joined the island's antiquarian society. Here, he met other enthusiasts, including the future curator of the Manx Museum, Philip Moore Callow Kermode, who was studying the island's Celtic and Scandinavian cross slabs. From 1878 to 84, Knox studied under John Miller Nicholson at the Douglas School of Art and taught there from 84 to 88, passing examinations in art in 1887. In the 1890s, he worked at least part-time with the eminent architect Mackay Hugh Bailey Scott, who'd settled on the island. In 1897, he left the island to take up a teaching post at Redhill in Surrey, where fellow Manxman Alfred James Collister was principal. In 1899, Archibald was appointed head of design at Kingston-upon-Thames Art School. It was at that time he came to be employed by Liberty & Co. of London. 
Archibald then returned to the Isle of Man in August 1900, settling in a house in Sulby, but still designing for Liberty. In 1917 came his final design for Liberty, a memorial for the grave of the firm's founder. Whilst teaching at Douglas High School for Girls, Archibald Knox lived at 70 Athol Street, a house which is now demolished. A commemorative plaque on the gable of the next-door building gives details of his birth and death and describes him as designer, artist, teacher. He died suddenly on the 22nd of February in 1933, leaving a legacy of elegantly designed silver and pewterware, jewellery, fabrics and evocative paintings striking with their great washes of colour. And you can find that full entry in New Manx Worthies, compiled by my namesake. There aren't many of us, Dolan Kelly RBV. Incidentally, if I ever become half the Dolan he was, I'll be doing okay. To find out more about Archibald Knox, I went to the Manx Museum to speak to social history curator Yvonne Cresswell. In a broader Isle of Man context, what made him, and continues to make him, quite so significant? I think what's fascinating with um, Archibald Knox, and we're actually sat in a display in the National Art Gallery, which is about the Douglas School of Art, and it's subtitled A Place to Nurture Manx Art. And I've always thought that um, the Isle of Man punches above its weight when you look at the artists it's produced in terms of Royal Academicians and someone like Archibald Knox, you know, one of Liberty's top designers and he's the person who in a sense creates Liberty's style. I mean, you know, his metalwork for Liberty defines, um, you know, Liberty and that type of um, British arts and crafts, Celtic revival, um, art and design and particularly his metalwork is so pared back that he is that link between Victorian design where there's a lot of detail to 20th century design and art deco where everything is much more streamlined and it's a simple form and function and this is basically a young Manx lad whose dad has an engineering firm um, but Archibald Knox was in the very first intake of um, students at the new um, Douglas School of Art. I mean, it hadn't even got a permanent art school, but he is there on day one. Now, John Miller Nicholson, what you could call the great national Manx artist, um, Nicholson had been, in a sense, campaigning for this School of Art because he was self-taught, but I think he felt that if young, talented, artistic, creative Manx youth could get a proper art education, the world was their oyster. And what's fascinating is, in that first intake, you have Archibald Knox, and he went on to become both a great internationally renowned designer, but what fascinates me is that with his watercolours, which is basically, he'd take an hour to paint a scene he might sit for eight hours on a, you know a hedge bank looking at the sky waiting for the light to be perfect he would do this watercolor and in a sense he's cast a long shadow over Manx art in the sense that generations of artists have wanted to emulate how Archibald Knox captured that sense of place in the Manx landscape and capturing that moment in time, capturing the colour, the light. And you look at those Manx landscapes and you just go, yeah, that's the Isle of Man. Or the archetypal white mill building or the, the white farmhouse. And these were all classic Archibald Knox watercolours. But then, on top of all that, and we have to remember he was a full-time art teacher and art lecturer, um, that was his basic career, he also um, is a commercial designer because once he comes back to the island just before the First World War, um, his career, as well as being an art teacher on the island, is that he's the island's commercial designer. Uh, John Miller Nicholson had died in 1913, Knox comes back to the island that year and he almost takes on that mantle of if you want to design 
it doesn't matter what type of design but if you want something that just screams manx you go to mr knox the art teacher so uh barons the grocers and douglas they want a new check design they go to mr knox and he creates this beautiful piece of interlace um the celtic congress that um met in the sort of all the different sort of nations in scotland and ireland uh, in wales uh, on an annual basis when it came to the isle of man um mr knox designed in a sense all the corporate branding for the basically international celtic congress meeting on the isle of man now when you look at the designs for the branding the programming and everything in edinburgh or in dublin um there's never anything that really sort of you know speaks to you as being particularly scottish or particularly irish but i love the idea that when the celtic count congress came to the isle of man they had something that was very definitely manx with three legs with intricate um interlace um so for a whole variety of different things um you know he he would do everything from the board of education's athletic festival um certificates um where basically when the brownies had a big event at peel castle he did their program and his little brownies are just wonderful they they almost like little sort of these conical um hats that have sort of little faces on them but he's producing what we would now see as corporate um design and branding that's what he's creating in the 1920s and it even goes so far as the fact that um you could he he would um design a gravestone so you walk around maybe the Douglas Bell cemetery or Bradham cemetery and you will see the most beautiful gravestones with celtic interlace and those have been designed by Archibald Knox so at so many levels he took um what he'd grown up with the carved manx crosses the manx landscape around him and that then becomes his life's work whether it's watercolor paintings whether it's the interlace on liberty metalwork um or on a grocer's check it you keep seeing this reworking and this deep love of the island and its its heritage and the world around him i think a lot of people will be very familiar with his metalwork which you've spoken about but you've also given us clues there of, as to the versatility of what he made um which perhaps people might know a bit less about well i think what fascinates me is that as a designer we live in a world now where if um you're going to be paid let's say 100 pounds for a job and you're going to be paid 1000 pounds for another job you'll put 10 times more effort into the job that's going to get you 1000 pounds than the one that will give you 100 pounds i always get the feeling with knox he will put in as much effort as he can and he will always do the best job possible so it it doesn't matter if it's something like the um I know the new emblem and logo so to speak for Moran commissioners um or it's for a bespoke commission piece of um top quality silverware for liberties he's putting everything into that design um some of my favorite designs of his are the illustrations in the second edition of Sophia Morrison's Manx fairy tales where every single um story in a sense the essence of the story is captured in the little pen and ink illustration at the start of each story mm. and that sort of fascinates me and it's when he takes a quite different look on things so um the tailor the taitegi um which is the enchantress who is this um you know sort of creature that looks like a beautiful woman and enchants the um manx fisherman when um nox comes to draw it for the uh, book of fairy tales what he does is that he has a flapper 
who is wearing a quite short skirt and um, is smoking a cigarette and she's been sort of um, followed by this line of sort of young gentlemen in sort of suits and it, it is utterly 1920s sort of like jazz age so he's taken the core of the story and he's put it into a sort of a modern sense and, and this, you, you look at it and it makes you smile and you know sort of it's so not what you expect because you expect it to be um, somebody who's wearing a sunbonnet and looking very sort of cute um, followed by a sort of young fisherman and actually he's created this sort of jazz age flapper and all of her uh, followers what what extent of knox's work um, is available for the public to see uh, in the present day um well if you look on the eye museum um all the meta work is on there Equally well, you can have a look at the watercolours, um, his drawings, his various graphic designs. So there's a, basically um, the collection at Manx National Heritage can be viewed online on the Eye Museum. Um, equally well, if you come into the National Art Gallery, you can see a selection of different works, uh, which includes metal work, um, some graphic designs, some watercolours and oil painting. Um, so there's a variety of sort of different artwork to see. And they're actually, they're in different sections as well. So here we are sitting in the area about the history of the Douglas School of Art, um, where he was, say, a founding pupil. And then he goes on to become one of the um, tutors, one of the art masters at the... Um, School of Art as well, but he's also in the Manx Identity section. Um, so there's lots of different ways of looking at Knox and his artwork. And are a lot of his works um, in or under the ownership of Manx National Heritage, or are they from private collections, or a bit of each? Um, we're very lucky to have a large collection. Um, the watercolours were donated by his family. Um, the together with a lot of the graphic designs and we have sort of the collection has grown over the decades um, but you can actually find his work in other places um, so the Victorian Albert the V&A in London has a lot of his work um, some um, art galleries and museums in um, America have got his work and he's also probably since the 70s and 80s been of increasing interest to private collectors as well so there's just been this growing interest um over time i mean what fascinates me with um particularly his metal work when he first created his designs um they will have been so cutting edge and so different and circa 1900 1905 um to have had these pieces it would have shown you had style and taste and uh, been what people aspired to. And the way that Liberty did it, it meant that you could get a very small piece, relatively cheaply, to much larger, far more expensive pieces. They also did a system whereby you could, in a sense, customise a design. So let's say um, you wanted to have... Um, a piece of pewter you could have it left in its dull pewter finish or you could have it polished um, so that it looked like silver and you know basically short of your in-laws picking a piece up to check if it had a hallmark on it or not you, no you one would have known yeah. you didn't have a piece <laughs> of silver on the sideboard um, you could have it pierced so that it would have a glass slider in it you could have it with or without enamel you could then choose what enamel you wanted um, so it made it incredibly versatile and you could get anything from something sort of quite small like a little pin tray all the way through to a tea service and as I say depending on whether you bought something from the Tudric range which was the pewter or the Kimrick which was the silver um, there was something for every budget so if you had a lot of money you could have your house decked out with a lot of beautiful knocks from Liberty. Equally well, you might have one small piece on the mantelpiece, which was a wedding present. 
So it, it was something that was within the range of an awful lot of um, people. But what intrigues me is the fact that you go from being state-of-the-art, the height of fashion, to then being, oh, yes, that's nice, everybody likes it, very popular, to then being slightly passe, and by the end of um, sort of by about 1910 onwards, um, Knox is being asked to change his style by the firm of Liberty, and he doesn't want to. He knows what he does. So when he actually comes back to the island and people want his uh, Manx-inspired artwork and design, it's perfect because if he'd stayed in London, stayed working for Liberty, there would have been increasing pressure to modernise and be working in whatever the new style was. Um, so then you have a period where it's passe, it's sort of, it's no longer fashionable, it looks quite old-fashioned. Um, so I've heard people say that they'd collected pieces when it wasn't fashionable, when nobody really wanted it, or actually realised um, that it was a piece by Knox. It's only really... 60s, 70s um, onwards, and particularly by the 80s, 90s, that a lot of the Liberty and the design studio, the Silver Studios designs, had been and have been identified as being by Archibald Knox. So it's one of these things that um, there was, in a sense, a rediscovery yeah. of Knox. And with that rediscovery, there's been this sort of growth in interest and fascination um, and what I love about Knox is Knox was a teacher, but he taught everybody from school children who didn't want to be taught, art students at college who were desperate to learn, to enthusiastic but not awfully good um, evening class students. He was also a designer, but he designed everything from the most exquisite pieces for Liberty, but then he's also um, doing the designs for a grocer's check. And he was an artist. So there are so many different facets to Archibald Knox. So everyone will find something in his work which they will look at and love. Um, I think for a lot of people, we love all the pe different facets of his work, other people, it might be the metalwork. Other people, it might be the watercolours. Or his drawings, mm. which, again, he's not so well known for. I think, just finally, my last question. Um, what work's been done, uh, maybe collaboratively, with the Archibald Knox Forum or any other enthusiasts or third-party groups uh, in the past to try and build and exhibit uh, some of his work? Um, I mean, I think there's sort of there's been sort of ongoing interest, and um, we've recently had um, an exhibition uh, with the Cabinet of Curiosities with items that were um, brought to the island um, back in the millennium. Um, we had sort of back-to-back -back exhibitions in 1999 and 2000 of um, exhibitions of of Archibald Knox's artwork, which included work from the um, Manx National Heritage National Art Collection, but we also um, had items on loan from um, the Museum of Domestic um, Des Art and Design in Middlesex University, and these were designs that had never been seen on the island. Um, so that's it's always wonderful to have opportunities to bring new pieces um, to the island to show people and also to show the existing um, collections in different ways. That was Yvonne Cresswell of Manx National Heritage, Somebody who's done huge amounts of work to promote and showcase the works of Archibald Knox is Anthony Birnbaum of the Pear Tree Collection in London. An enthusiast turned dealer and authority on Knox pieces, I asked Mr. Birnbaum what piqued his interest first. So I wandered into the Liberty & Co store uh, maybe 30 years ago and unwittingly bought a pair of replica Archibald Knox cufflinks um, without realising who made them or anything about the history at all. And many years later, once eBay was established and the internet was just getting going, I fortuitously researched them 
and that ignited my knowledge and then love of Archibald Knox because I just thought he was a fantastic or think he is a fantastic designer and I suppose I'm really attracted to his uh, the modernness, the radical modernness of what he does um, and then as um, my passion grew for all arts and crafts silver, uh, Archibald Knox was very much at the centre of it and I um, was able to really understand better, obviously, the links then to the Isle of Man and the Celtic influences that uh, so uh, predominate in his work. So would you consider yourself to be a collector of his works? I am really a dealer now. So my background was in financial services uh, in the city, and I uh, effectively retired from that to do dealing. And what I did was really, I was a collector, and I took my collection and made it my stock. So <laughs> I'm no longer a collector as such. I'm really a dealer. Um, but what I do is have essentially a revolving collection, which I sell from. So everything's for sale, but I um, take great pleasure in the fact that I can enjoy the pieces I own while I own them. Where do you find that interest in Archibald Knox comes from? Is it is it from the Isle of Man? Is it from the British Isles? Or is it worldwide now? It's definitely worldwide. It's, it's huge. I mean, I can really tell from when I do a posting um, if it's, if there's something on Archibald Knox in it, it will get to double or triple the interest of any, any other posting I will do, and it will be international. And when I say international, mainly America, but also uh, somewhat in Europe. And I think it's, it's, it's uh, any number of sources. There's huge following because of his Isle of Man, Celtic, Scottish, Irish links, shall we say, and um, because of the, the American, um, I guess, immigration, there's a massive amount of interest in that as well in America. But in addition, um, there's huge numbers of people interested in 20th century design. And when you talk 20th century design, you really um, very quickly come to a very few names, one of which is Archibald Knox. And he is, his work's so dramatic and so distinctive. Um, almost anyone interested in, in, that, in, in design um, is interested in Knox. And that's a lot of people. I'm led to believe he has some quite high-profile fans of his well there's always the rumor that brad pitt well it's not a rumor it's absolutely true that certainly brad pitt uh, is or was a collector of Knox. Uh, i have to say that's only second or third hand do i know that um but i believe it to be absolutely true um and there are other stories of other hollywood collectors um but uh, sadly none have come knocking on my door so i can't confirm confirm that but uh <laughs> There, there's certainly some very wealthy collectors out there, which is why uh, some of the Archibald Knox pieces sell for so much. There are obviously, um, well, as, as you alluded to earlier, there are lots of imitations of Archibald Knox's work. How easy or otherwise is it to distinguish the real thing from, from the, the, the imitations? Oh, there's a, there's a long question. It, it does depend what you're talking about. So I always, uh, I focus on the silver of Archibald Knox. So that's always in my mind. And thankfully, most of, if not all, the silver is assayed. And so apart from just looking at the piece and the quality of the piece, the assay mark is, is rarely faked. There are fakes out there, especially frames. So I would caution anyone about buying an Archibald Knox silver frame because they're very faked, but uh, including the hallmarks. But um, generally speaking, people don't fake assay marks because it's so illegal and so criminal. Um, once you're into the pewter pieces or the watercolours, then um, faking is, I'll say, less illegal. Uh, perhaps not, uh, not the legal way of saying it, but it's sort of perceived to be less illegal. And, uh, and fakes are everywhere and easier to come by. So it's, it's really a cautionary tale to focus on uh, either buying from an expert or becoming an expert. But I think some of the imitations, uh, particularly of the pewter clocks, are, are lovely and you know, have a... Have a, a uh, uh, have uh, every right to exist and um, allow a lot of people to have a very nice, call it Archibald Knox style piece at a very affordable price. So there's no, no problem with reproductions at all. Uh, just talk to me about your involvement with the Archibald Knox Forum, if you could. Yeah, well, uh, as you may know, uh, Chris Hobdell from the island uh, is very active and started the Archibald Knox Forum. And uh, I've been, I've known Chris ages um, and delighted to help with that entirely uncommercial part of my, my world. I don't try and promote my gallery through it or anything like that. And the forum is just uh, a means by which uh, those interested in Knox can learn more. That's really, it's all about educating about Knox and researching into Knox. And that's the areas I'm very keen on too. So 
uh, I hope Chris Olof, I hope, <laughs> with, uh, with the forum and um, have previously lent also to the exhibition that was, I think, last year in the Isle of Man so that um, some really nice pieces of silver could go on display in the museum. That was Anthony Birnbaum of the Pear Tree Collection in London. So several times now I've mentioned the Archibald Knox Forum. For instant access to a wide variety of Knox's works, the Forum's Facebook page is an excellent place to start. Photographs of his pieces are uploaded daily, and there's much more information on the Forum's website. To find out more about the organisation, I met with two of its directors, Chris Hobdell and Mary Hobdell. The Archibald Knox Forum was set up in January 2017. It has one objective, the advancement of the education of the public, both in the Isle of Man and worldwide, in relation to the work and legacy of Archibald Knox, namely the Manx artist designer of that name, born in the Isle of Man in 1864 and who died there in 1933. Before that, there was the Archibald Knox Society. It was a really good society and was run by Liam O'Neill, and sadly he died in 2014. And there was a bit of a hiatus, so in 2017, I tried to set this up so that people's knowledge of Knox would continue. So did the society have some some shared objectives, perhaps, with what became the Archibald Knox Forum uh, in in, in 2017? Definitely. Um, I mean, their objective was exactly the same as mine, except uh, they had some extra people other than Archibald Knox as well. They may have talked about Nicholson and people like that. Tell me about some of the work that the Forum has then taken on in in the last uh, three and a half, or three, yeah, over three three and and a half years. Yeah. Well, we have drop-in centre events where people can come along. They can look at up to 60 or 70 pieces of Knox. They can handle them. They can bring their own works on Knox in, and we'll discuss them and talk about them. Uh, as well as the 60 or 70 pieces of Knox, we also have on loan 60 to 70 books, magazines, and publications either by or about Knox. We visit places of Knox interest, so, for example, Braddon New Cemetery, where there are 11 graves designed by Knox, Crockbourne Village, where he was born, Cadran Cottage, where he refurbished a house, and there's a beautiful sundial in the garden, Douglas Borough Cemetery, where there are eight graves, Old St Runius, where there's one grave, and so it goes on. We also visit the war memorials that he designed, um, we take people to see the Deer's Cry in the museum where Yvonne Crespo gives them a talk and also St Ninian's to see the wonderful Book of Remembrance and one of the last ones is Solby Village where he had his house and his studio and did most of his designing for Liberty and Pewter. You've, you've kind of half answered this already I think or certainly give us, given us some clues but there's a very wide array of, uh, of of abilities, really, in in this one man. Lots of people may know the silver pieces or the pewter pieces, some of the more kind of striking uh, visual works. But uh, he had all kinds of talents in different fields, I suppose. Yes, I'm. I think you know it, the the range of his designs. It isn't only pewter and silver or jewellery, but the paintings. Um, you come across the strangest things. There's cutlery that he's designed. I have a set of silver uh, coffee spoons, very small ones, really pretty. And when you look at his designs on paper and you just think it could be today's design, um, not from um, when he designed it. You know, it's it's modern uh, right up to the minute. Nobody would say, oh, that's too old-fashioned. I don't want to own that. So perhaps ahead of his time, do you feel? Definitely, definitely. Where do the enthusiasts um, of, of Archibald Knox hail from? Are there are there people on the Isle of Man or 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 further afield that you're in conversation with? Well, what, what I'll give as an illustration is we have a Facebook page that I put something on every day from Knox, and we also have a, a dedicated website. Now. 
on the website, we've had 7,000 visitors in the last year and a half, and a 1,000 of those uh, to 1,500 are from the Isle of Man and the UK. The rest are from all over the world, so it's a very broad spectrum indeed. We mentioned, um, well, before that there's a lot of interest in America especially. Do you find the same is reflected in your sort of audience figures? Yes, lots of people from America come on, say, I like it, or can you tell me more about this? And right the way across uh, the US. Um, and it's lovely when they come along and uh, I say I can send you our free newsletter. And they say, oh, yes, please. And they they get 15 newsletters at the moment. And they just write back and say, I had no idea that he did this. Because most people off the island knew he did designs in pewter, silver and jewellery for Liberty & Co. But his art and his other design work, they really don't have a clue about. And it's really why I want to hold an exhibition, or we want to hold an exhibition on the Isle of Man, not just to show off his pieces, but so people can come and see what inspired this man and what about the Manx history, culture and landscape, you know, really inspired him. Was it the uh, the Isle of Man's uh, landscape and cultural identity that he, was his his main inspiration, his main driver, do you think? Yes. It, I mean, he was a uh, second-generation uh Manx if you like his father was from Scotland and he was born on the Isle of Man but you can see in his work the beautiful Celtic and Trellix uh, in his painting I mean nobody captures the Isle of Man like Knox's paintings and also he was inspired by the Manx crosses and uh, by the sea by the hills so it wasn't anywhere else if you like it was here that he had his grounding and he only went to London and designed for maybe seven or eight years of his life. The rest of his life was mainly on the Isle of Man, which lots of people don't realise. We've spoken about some of his better-known mediums. Uh, I believe he worked in all kinds of things, in, including watercolours, for example, which are perhaps a bit lesser known. Yeah, watercolours on the Isle of Man are very, very well known, uh, but not so much uh, uh, outside the Isle of Man. He did... Uh, to my knowledge, seven oil paintings, and until I started researching, I had no idea he did oil paintings. He designed crosses, he designed memorials, he designed graveyards, uh, gravestones, I mean. He also did beautiful illuminated illustrations, uh, he did book illustrations, uh, also wallpaper and textiles. It's an incredible range. And how far has his work been uh, catalogued? How far do we know where it all is? Or is, or is that still a, a work in progress, perhaps? Well, things are still coming to us that we didn't know were Knox before. I mean, four months ago, Anthony had a small pepper caster. It's two and a half inches high, and it's made of silver. Now, it's not that important when you look at the size of it but it was made in 1897. It's probably the oldest piece of Knox ever made. And he made it for the Silver Studio, not for Liberty & Co. And the drawings of that piece are in the uh, Museum of, of Design and Architecture, in, and Art, I'm sorry, in um, the University of Middlesex. And that is, I think, the oldest piece of Knox that we can find. Uh, incredible. You've spoken a couple of times about his work with Liberty & Co. Yeah. Is that what kind of propelled him to uh, maybe more international fame, perhaps? Well, the funny thing about Knox is everybody could see that the Liberty designs were beautiful, they were dramatic, they were Celtic, they were also modern. But nobody knew it was Archibald Knox, or very few people. At that, that time, Liberty and the Silver Studio, it was the head of the studio who was put on as the designer. That was the way they worked. It was in 1970s, which is 60 to 70 years after he designed these, that we began to realise that it was Archibald Knox because he made things called the Conister candlesticks or designed them, um, the Olaf clock. And people came to realise this is a Manxman. Nobody else is going to know what the Conister Rock is and things like that. 
and then they put together, well, what are these design motifs? And then they found more and more by him. I want to ask you two where your interest in him comes from and why, why, why has so much time been put into this man? Well, I think the time has been really put in by Chris. I'm very much a supporting um, factor in this, but I do love his designs. So um, it's just the, the sheer beauty, the Celtic, Celtic design that nobody knew about until his work became well-known and what was motivating him. You know, here on the Isle of Man, we're much more aware of Celtic design um, otherwise, it's you know very few people know anything about it. So, in in places further afield like America, perhaps yes. that carries maybe a bit obviously less importance in his work than yes, may, maybe the just they the... probably don't even think about what is Celtic. Yeah. You know what is Celtic design? It, these are things that most people have no idea about, and that's the Manx basis of uh, what he designed. Uh, my interest and it started when I just saw a piece of his uh, work in Mike Levine's below uh, where Peter Louis was and I just fell in love with the piece but like lots of people I thought well I couldn't own it it's far too expensive and then I started researching it and realized you can buy some Archibald Knox that you know you can buy in the low hundreds if you like you can buy pieces of Knox for a quarter of a million if you wanted to but and then I started researching it and it's now not a like it's an obsession with me if you like every time I see a Knox I still get goose pimples because you cannot believe that it was designed or some of it was designed up in the village of Sulby 120 years ago or nearly 120 years ago by a man who to me on this island is so totally undervalued um, and I don't mean that badly it's just that I think it's time to have this exhibition and to show the world hey this man was from the Isle of Man he was totally Manx he designed everything because of his Manx way of life and what he'd seen around him in his younger days and uh, it's a way of bringing people who have not understood he, where he's been inspired by, to the island. So tell me about your ambitions and your vision for this. You're looking for a, a multi-year plan to, to uh, build towards quite a big project in 2024 or maybe 2025. Yes. The dates depend really on the museum. You know, museums don't say, well, you know, have a space next month and we'll plonk a few things in a, a display cabinet. For the museum to work, they've got to plan maybe two, three years ahead. Um, the big thing for this year is to have asked the museum if we can have the space for up to 200 pieces, 60 of which will be from the museum, and 100 to 140 will be from big collectors, museums, and dealers around the world. Uh, the other reason that we need four years is that one, we need to raise the money, and two, it's not just going to be an exhibition in the museum, it's going to be taking people out to show what uh, inspired Knox, where his other things are, like going out to the graves that were um, designed by him, seeing the landscapes. And there, are, there are some things that can't be bought into a that's uh, right. into a public exhibition, of yeah. course, as, 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 you've, uh, as you've told us that, really, yeah. that... We've started some uh, talking to people who do walks throughout the Isle of Man to set up walks to go to exactly where he stood when he did the painting. Uh, we have other people who are going to help us produce a Knox trail using QR codes so that people like people who visit Nokalo, they can go with their mobile phone, press on the QR code and they'll hear all about the grave or all about the war memorial. So all that's got to be done and put in place before we can say to visitors, come on over. And then we need the big advertising campaigns that are going out to um, travel agents, to the cruise people. And then we need to get the auction houses and the museums on board. So it's a, it's a lot of work to get all that together. 
you said in a, a, a recent advert that just as Glasgow attracts people from all over the world to experience the legacy of Charles Rennie Mackintosh, we believe the Isle of Man should become the equivalent for Archibald Knox. So this is not only is this a, a multifaceted project, if you like, with lots of different um, parts to it, you're also looking at making it basically the biggest Archibald Knox experience that there's ever been anywhere, really. Yes, and it can only be done on the Isle of Man from the point of view of all the other facets other than his jewellery and his metalwork. But the other thing about this exhibition is it's not that 2024 there's an exhibition. What a great thing that was. It's to make people aware and to want to come back year after year to see it and for students to come over and study. You know, I get uh, emails from students from France and other parts of Europe saying I'm doing a thesis on Art Nouveau or arts and crafts can you tell me something about Archibald Knox and then they show a willingness that they'd love to come over and see what inspired him Is it hoped there could be some sort of permanent exhibition as a result uh, kind of off the back of uh, the, the, the culmination of the project in four or five years time? Difficult to say that would be up to the museum. I mean, I and the Archibald Knox Forum, the only place we could put this on is the Manx Museum. It can't go anywhere else. We need the security. We need the proper environment within the um, museum. But whether it would become permanent would be up to the museum or would be up to the people of the Isle of Man because since 1916, somebody wrote, and said there should be a gallery for Archibald Knox in the centre of your island. Well, it's not been there for 104 years, but we're working towards it. You've mentioned this already, but this is also going to require quite significant financial input, of course, to facilitate all of this to happen. That's right. Um, how do you how do you go about raising these kinds of sums? What's the plan? Well, the plan is first of all to get the uh, permission of Manx Museum, if they can fit it in and give us the uh, big gallery and also uh, part of the art gallery. Um, and then we would go out and we would raise money for, by sponsorship, by doing fundraising events. I can't tell you exactly what they are at the moment. They're going around in my head, but I haven't finalised them. Um, but if you take, uh, for instance, the 2018-19 uh, exhibition that we put on in the little cabinet in the Isle of uh, Manx Museum, um, the first quote we got for bringing 40 pieces from England was £8,000 just to package it up and send it to the Isle of Man. Is, uh, is that because of size? Is that because they're delicate? Is that It's because uh, they're delicate and there was probably half to three quarters of a million pounds worth of uh, value in those 40 pieces. Uh, I mean, some people said, well, why did you only bring over 40? <laughs> I would love well, to have brought well, that, the that, lot. There's the answer. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then we had wonderful help from um, the people who owned the pieces. They allowed us to bring their pieces over by car which was incredible and they put the insurance on their own personal insurance um Rossborough's helped us with a very good insurance quote so that's why i'm saying that we need people from all over the isle of man to buy into this it's a community project it is Absolutely. it is and it's to take pride in the isle of man which people do obviously but to show the world this wasn't a little old school teacher who spent a few years designing for liberty and co and what a jolly nice bloke. He had such influence on Europe. We've just made a film or a series of six films, and one of those is Archibald Knox's influence on Europe. People don't know about that influence. They know about Charles Rennie Mackintosh and people like that because they were architects and, and in their own right. But Liberty and Co. and the Silver Studio kept Archibald Knox's name out of everything. You're, you're very much a an enthusiast of Knox's work. Do you see elements of his work in other creators, other artists uh, who have worked since him, that have taken influence from, perhaps? Definitely. Um, if you... Well, it'll, we'll have to wait for the film to come out, but Peter Behrens, who was one of the top architects and uh, designers in Germany 
in the early part of the 20th century. And he was revered throughout Europe. He set up the uh, Munich Secession. You can see in at least two of his works where he's been totally influenced by Knox. And there are other examples of that as well. So uh, it's important to get that message out that he wasn't just from the Isle of Man. People in Europe, even at the time in 1901, were taking some of his designs and showing them off as their own. You know, not exactly copies, which you wouldn't expect, but you can see the influence quite strongly. How do people find out more in the interim period? So by the time this comes around in four or five years' time, if people want to equip themselves to have an active involvement or even just to come and be a, uh, an, an appreciator of the, the culmination of the project, how do they find out more? Right. If they contact the Archibald Knox Forum, we're in Douglas, we have a Facebook page that we um, post every day a piece of Knox on there uh, and send that out. You know, it's liked all over the world. We have our website, which is archibaldknoxforum.com, um, which has over 2,000 images of Knox's work and his life and also lots of information about Knox. And they can come on our visits. If we have a visit going, anybody's allowed. And absolutely all of this is free. The only thing I say is when I give a small exhibition to a group, everything is free except the exhibits. You have to pay for them if you want <laughs> What's the policy on submissions? If people have pieces in their own homes, and I imagine there'll be lots of Manx homes that might well have pieces in them. Well, uh, we encourage people, if they want to, to come along to our drop-in centres. Uh, one man brought a beautiful illuminated illustration done by Knox for his mother, who was a student of his, and it's uh, it was wonderful to just hear this man talking about uh, Knox just, if you like, knocking this out one night for his student. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, the other thing is that we're hoping with this exhibition uh, that we will give a if you like, a competition, not really a competition, but that 10 pieces from homes in the Isle of Man will be part of this exhibition. So we'll ask people to submit their pieces if they wish to, and they can either say, will you please put that it's from a private collector, or they can be named whichever they like. But it's to get this feeling of it's an overall community thing, uh, just to get Knox known better. That was Chris Hobdell and Mary Hobdell from the Archibald Knox Forum. Since the time of recording, I'm told plans are now progressing for this grand exhibition project to go ahead in 2024. The planning and the hard work can begin. Thank you for listening and watch this space. Take care.